Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hey guys, welcome to coffees.me podcast. I'm your host Valerian Hrala. I hope you are well enough caffeinated for the third episode with Deborah Fordiger. In this episode, Deborah is going to answer your questions. The questions you asked over our Facebook group, coffeeis.me. If you're not a member, come and join us. The easiest way is when you go to coffees.me website and on the top menu, you have the link to community. And that will take you to our Facebook group where you apply and I will approve you. So without further ado, it's your questions and Devora's answers. Enjoy. I think I went through all my questions, what I wanted to talk about, but we have tons of questions from listeners. Oh. And this is the most I ever had, by the way. Hello, listeners. So in the next segment, I'm going to ask you those. Okay, Jonathan is asking... How do you choose a right partner to open a coffee shop if someone wants to participate with you? Hmm. Okay, so if I was looking to partner with somebody for a coffee shop, um, I would want somebody with complementary strengths to mine, right? I feel like coming from a barista background, um, I know the coffee and the menu and the barista training, right? I do not know how to pay my taxes. I don't know how to run the permitting process. Um, I mean, I can look at a PL for a cafe, but I'm definitely look at it, looking at it from a manager standpoint. Um, so I personally would want somebody very financially savvy, right? I am not strong about HR rules for like, how do I provide my employees with insurance, right? Mm-hmm. I am not an Excel wizard. I have somebody who helps me out when I need Excel spreadsheets, right? Like, I, I'm looking for somebody complimentary to me. So not two um, baristas. Not two baristas. I wouldn't do it. I mean, I don't think I would. I don't think I'd, you know, partner with somebody who had the same strengths as me. I'd partner with a roaster. Sure. Yeah. That would be great. I would love to partner with a roaster, right? That's not my strength. I, I roasted a copy for a year. I know nothing about it. Right. I mean, I fully admit, like, I don't I, I don't know what's going on in those beans <laughs> when they're cooking. Uh, I want somebody who can who can do that part for me. I cook um, them for you. <laughs> yeah. Can you cook them for me? I mean, but it's true. Right. OK. You don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. Right. Yeah. I don't want to be arguing with um, my partner about what I think the best like summer menu is. Right. I want to make that decision. Mm-hmm. But I also want somebody who I trust that I can be like, you know, that I'm not arguing with them about their new espresso blend or, you know, yeah, how we're running our, you know, what company we're choosing to run our payroll through. Right. So I I think complementary strength is, is important and knowing what your weaknesses are. Right. I, I don't remember numbers. My brain doesn't work that way. I have to take a ton of notes when I am doing product development or looking at margins or running payroll percents, like that stuff I'm kind of comfortable with, but I have to take a ton of notes. I'm not just like intuitive about it. 
Um, so somebody who was strong with numbers, somebody who was strong with roasting, somebody who was strong in the kitchen, right? I'm, I'm, I really like cooking, but I eat mostly vegan. Like I should not be deciding a cafe menu and hunting down the best croissant because I don't really eat croissants. Okay. Right. So I want somebody who that's their strength. Um, and I think that that is what I would look for. I think that's really important. And, and to somebody who you really trust, right? You have to trust each other. And I think you need to set boundaries before you get into conflict. Right? Yeah. And we could go back to talking about relationships and marriages again here pretty quickly, yeah. right? No, that, that's but okay. <laughs> set your boundaries. Set your boundaries. Set your um, expectations before you get into conflict. Know that I'm going to have the coffee piece. You're going to have the roasting piece. I'm going to have the coffee piece. You're going to, you know, you're going to have the financial piece and trust each other. Don't be like, okay, we're out of money. What the heck are we going to do? Um, know, know your strengths first and be honest about it. Cool. Okay. Daniel, how do you, uh, how long do you spend training your employees before they are on the floor working? What are the top three skills you teach in training a new barista? There's many, many more, more skills, but what would be there? If you <laughs> would have three? to select three, what would they be? Okay. Um, okay, well, first off, how long do we train baristas? Um, I think it depends on the experience level they're coming in with. But we definitely have little, like, um, I guess, modules prior to them getting on the floor is the best way to think of it. So really, the way I think of it is like, okay, what do they need to know before they're even, like, on the floor interfacing with customers, right? So before they even interface with customers, we hopefully, it doesn't always work this way in a cafe because sometimes you're like desperate or the trainer's out of town or blah, 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 right? But in an ideal world, um, they are getting an intro to Equator, right? We definitely do like a company backgrounder slideshow tour of the roastery, hopefully meeting Helen and Brooke. Um, backgrounder on the company, intro to coffee, because even if people work in coffee, like you need to know how we answer the question, like, you know, where does your coffee come from, right? Just the like coffee is the seed of a fruit talk. And this is how we get that seed out of the fruit and into a cup, right? We have that. So we call that seed to cup intro, intro to coffee, um, doing a basic cupping of our menu, both tea and coffee, and then doing a menu tasting. So this is our cappuccino this is our mocha this is our batch brews we always offer two batch brews at our cafes so that can be a lot and tasting them and so ideally that happens before they get on the floor and then we kind of start people on the floor as like um uh kind of bar backing and like register position um usually with somebody right they'll be there with the manager or lead barista or trainer but just getting to know the menu, getting to know the customer question, getting to know the customers, you know? I mean, I'd say probably 70% of the people who come in, we know by name and know their drink by name, right? So, like, this is Laura. She drinks a nonfat latte. Here's how you enter the nonfat latte button, right? Um, that's important stuff to know before we even get to the coffee stuff. Yeah. And and so we hold off on, on espresso-specific training until people are comfortable with our menu. They're comfortable talking about the coffees on our menu. Uh, we'll do pour over training first so they can start learning about general extraction, right? If they don't know anything about extraction, we can kind of look at over and under extracting in a pour over cup. 
and then start them on espresso training because espresso training is a lot of time. It's a big investment. So they're already working for you doing these things and then yeah, at one so point keep, they I go. keep them on the floor for a month, six weeks. I mean, make okay. sure we know they're going to stay before we start the espresso training. Yeah, that's a, whoa, that's a good tip. Yeah, that's, I love that. Yeah, but get them. I mean, you want to make sure they're going to fit, that they like the job, they're going to fit with the team. And just get them drinking coffee every day, especially if they have no experience, right? Here's our equator blend. What two words are you going to describe it with today? Here, we're brewing a Guatemala. What two words are you going to use to describe it today? And really, like, giving them the – helping build their palate and giving them a vocabulary before we start espresso training I think is important because otherwise espresso, being a really weird way to make coffee <laughs> – can be very intimidating, right? You don't know what it tastes like. Just tastes sour to me. It tastes like coffee. It tastes sour. It tastes bitter. It's too strong. So we got to build their palate first. Okay. And then what? Top three skills? What did you say? Yeah. What are the top three skills you teach in training a new barista? But it's kind of hard to say because you said these modules it's are so complex. I know. Uh, I think tasting, building a palate, right? Okay. And tasting with intent in everything that you eat, right? Like I love doing like pears are in season right now. Let's taste four kinds of pears, mm-hmm. see what they taste like, right? So building your palate, um, listening, <laughs> listening to <laughs> coworkers, customers. Um, and I don't know, does letting is letting go of ego a skill? <laughs> It is a skill. You know, I love what you said here because you were not <laughs> focusing on, you know, on extraction, on, on no, a skill. No, not at all. You actually went all the way towards, you know, that kind of human skills, human communication skills, and basically building it from, from the basis. And that's, we already talked about it, that that's very important, the personality of the, the, of the, of the barista, right? It's super important. I mean, if you have a bad experience, your coffee is going to taste bad. Mm-hmm. It is. True. I don't think there's any getting around that. I think that experience, taste is, I don't know. I mean, sure, it's quantifiable on some level. But I think that's not why people drink coffee and that's not why they enjoy coffee or don't enjoy it. I think it's all about the experience. So, sure, that's a skill. Don't over or under extract. Great. But also just don't have an ego and meet people where they are. I'm curious what... I'm I'm really curious what Daniel uh, expected, what kind of answer. So if you are listening, Daniel, just let me let us know because we are curious. Like if you were yeah. expecting this, because call me up. <laughs> not gonna say latte art. That's definitely not in the top three. Cool. All right, Pablo Jimenez. Okay. All right, he is greedy. He has three questions here. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Do you think it would be right to offer just one size for each item on the menu to keep things simple? That's the first question. Okay. Second, important things to keep in mind when doing an inventory. And third question is examples of coffee mar- uh, marketing in a cafe. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Pablo. Okay. Um, I think one size can be simple. Sure. I think, again, it's about your um, uh, knowing your market. In our cafe, we have three different size cups, right? And we have different sizes that I would say we recommend or strongly lean towards for each drink, right? Cappuccino is on our menu just in the small cup. Latte is on the menu in the medium and the large cup. But if somebody just says latte, we default to the medium size. 
um, and coffee is on the menu for small and large. And if somebody just says coffee, we generally ask because I'd say that's about 50-50 people who want a big coffee. Um, but we don't like to, in our cafe, in our cafe culture, and this is not appropriate for every cafe, uh, we don't like to say no to people. We like to just meet them where they are, right? So if somebody says, oh, I want a large cappuccino, right? I'll usually show them the cup and say, this is our standard cappuccino. Is this all right for you? And if they say, no, I want a larger one, then we say, okay. And we'll put it in the latte size cup and we'll put a little note saying the barista should call it out as a cappuccino or a fluffy latte or whatever mm -hmm. we want to say, right? And we will make it for them. Right. And if they hopefully they like it enough to come back and then we can start teaching them. Oh, so just say you want a foamy latte. Right. Because that's usually if somebody wants a large cap, it's usually about foam density, not about ratio. OK. Right. Which we could talk about cappuccino definition for like an hour. Right. But, you know, we want to give them what they want. Same if somebody wants a really short, really small latte. Right. OK. We'll call that a flat white and put it in the cappuccino cup. Right. Great. There you go. That's what you're getting. So like, sure, we'll put one size on our menu, but if you have those cups in your store, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to let my barista say, no, we don't make that for you. Cool. Okay. So, so, but again, know your audience, right? If you need to disrupt the market and you need to go in and say, this is a cappuccino, this is what we do. I'm not going to make it any other size. I'm not going to make you a fluffy latte. I mean, that can work in some markets. I think there's enough of that in the market that we're in that we need to personally in San Francisco differentiate by being accessible. Was the second question? Important things to keep in mind when doing an inventory. Okay. So I think that depends on what you're doing an inventory for, right? Like I think of inventory as having um, uh, a few different purposes, right? I think inventory is very important on a manager level to make sure they're ordering to an appropriate par, right? So you're doing inventory on like perishable goods, even if you're like marking them out, like your pastry and stuff like that, um, to make sure that you're ordering an amount that matches your sales. Because if you're ordering way more than you sell, your cafe is never gonna make any money, right? Um, the other reason to do inventory is not just about like mark out, it's about theft, right? So you wanna make sure things aren't being stolen. And there's two people who are gonna steal your stuff, right? It's your staff, uh, or it's your or it's your customers. So I think as far as staff theft, I don't know if this is really the question they're answering, but um, I want to make it. I want to make my staff so happy working for us that they would never think about stealing from us because when they think about stealing, it's not like from the company; it's from their store. Right. So they have to feel ownership in the store. Um, so part of that is making sure they have all the coffee they want to drink. Right. We are our staff can drink as many drinks that we make as they want over the course of the day. And they can come in on their day off, get 12 espressos. I don't care. Right. I want them to need to come in on their day off. Right. They should be so addicted to caffeine. Um, and then I want them to understand why, like. Drinking a latte on shift is different than like drinking a juice without paying for it, right? And so I think that's ties into training and wanting to grow them. 
right? And being like, okay, so sure, we pay for the milk and the latte and we pay for the coffee and the latte, but here's why those costs are more controllable and here's the margin on our latte, right? This juice, if you drink it and don't pay for it, we are only making a small margin on it because we don't make it. We can't afford to have you drink it. If you drink one of these a day, right? This is how much revenue that is. And this will affect our margin on this juice, right? Which is why we count our juice bottles and in inventory, right? So I think that's important. Um, same with like granola bars and pastry and stuff like that. Anything, we, anything you don't make, you're gonna have a much lower margin on. Um, so I think you have to offer your staff a discount, but also let them know like you're counting that you're doing inventory. Um, and that can be as simple as, you know, making an Excel sheet that you are, um, you know, we mark off when we receive things. We just put in general numbers for what we receive. And then our POS system lets us pull sales. And at the end of the month, we cut, we count what we have left, right? It's super easy. Um, if we think things are getting stolen uh, by customers or by staff, then we'll start doing weekly counts. And usually it's stuff like that. Usually if it's your staff, probably they're just eating without thinking, right? They're eating your granola bars, drinking your juice, and they don't think it matters. So you need to let them know that it matters. Mm -hmm. um, if it's customers, maybe you need to move stuff, right? Maybe, maybe your granola bars are at pocket level or whatever. So I guess that's the other reason why you do inventory, right? It's to control your ordering and it's to make sure you're not experiencing a lot of shrink. Um, I think it's important. I think you got to count stuff. You got to count minimum every month. And if you think stuff is walk-in, count it every week. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the third question was examples of coffee marketing in cafe. And this is interesting because I do a lot of marketing and um, I like it, but I never did marketing for coffee. I have no even, I have mm -hmm. no clue how would you do one. Okay. I think minimal is good in a cafe because you don't need people. People know where they are. Hopefully they know their, the brand that they're drinking. Um, so it's really about getting people excited about seasonal stuff coming up or um, events, right? I think events are really good to market and I think events are a really great way to connect with your community. Mm -hmm. So I think little like tabletop signs are fine. Um, I don't like too, too much stuff in a window or too much stuff at the register. So I would really have a plan and focus on it, right? Like we just won this good food awards with Finca Sophia. So now we have little stands up at the, at the register for Finca Sophia and we're going to sell it by the cup for a day. Right. Mm -hmm. So we just have little stands and we have a little example of the box. So the Finca Sophia is going in, right. That's the marketing for it. More important than that is getting the baristas excited about it. So we've got the baristas like we had just a small amount of each lot of coffee left over from the good food awards. So we gave it to the managers for them to intentionally taste with their baristas. Get the baristas excited about it. That's the best type of marketing you can have. Whatever our baristas are drinking, which is why we give our baristas free drinks, whatever they're drinking, we sell more of. Mm -hmm. Right? That's, that's the best marketing we can get. Um, and then, you know, we have another event coming up at the end of February that I'm really excited about. Um, talking about our trip to Rwanda. You've got to come, Valerian. Um, and there's no marketing up about that yet. We're going to wait. As soon as the Finca Sophia comes down, that goes up. Uh, okay. Right. But, but, but we don't want to confuse the message. We don't have both up at the same time. Okay. So Melissa is asking, how important is, is uh, to you the concept in a cafe? 
what is your opinion with menus that rotate constantly? We talked about the menus, so that's okay. Mm-hmm. Can you share with us your best experience in a cafe? And let's make it more interesting. Let's share a best experience in a cafe, which is not Equators. Oh, I know. I wouldn't go there. I love going out for coffee, and there's many types of cafes that I like. I mean, I love going to, like, old-school Seattle cafes where the baristas are in T-shirts and they're kind of snobby and the music's a little too loud. And, like, I don't know. I I still enjoy that. Um, but I love high-concept cafes. I mean, I think uh, St. Frank is one of my favorite places to go in in um, the Bay Area because mm. they do such high service. They always have interesting seasonal drinks. Um and it's very, very high touch customer service, which, which I enjoy. Um, but it's definitely more of an event, right? I'm not just walking in and getting a, getting a cup of coffee to go. I'm like, oh, what do you have? I spent time with the barista, and I like that. Um, and so I like, I like having that type of experience. I mean, when Blue Bottle Mint Plaza opened, I was there a lot because it was like. You can get people who are actually trained making siphon, making you a siphon pot. Like, that's exciting. That's not a skill I have. That's not a type of coffee I know how to make at home. So that's exciting to go out for. Um, and so th- those are type of things that I kind of look for. But I also really appreciate, like, the old school vibe of of some cafes that are, you know, a little dark, a little gritty. Cool. Just get it. Get a really ristretto espresso and love it. Um, as far as menus rotating, I think that's worth touching on. Okay. Because like, because we have such a big menu at Equator, and part of it rotates and part of it stays the same, and that is really to attract different demographics, right? Like we always batch brew our Equator blend for somebody who wants coffee to taste the same all year right and the blend totally changes right throughout the year but we try to keep it tasting similar so if our roasters are doing our job uh doing if our roasters are doing their jobs our customers don't notice when the blend changes right like they don't notice um and then we also have a standard espresso that we serve all year long right same thing should taste the same but we have a seasonal espresso that's a single origin most of the time right so you can choose to get that we have a seasonal batch brew that's single origin most of the time. You can choose to get that. And that's because people want different things in their coffee. Some people want coffee that tastes like coffee. They want the same thing every day. And then some people want an experience when they go out for coffee and they want to try what's new and fresh and trust the barista. Okay. So I think have both. Know your demographic. And if you can, offer both. Offer something for somebody who wants the same thing every day and offer something that will keep your baristas having fun. Okay, so next one is Matthew. Uh, he's saying that we are opening our second cafe in a couple of weeks ourselves, and I want to know how can I best keep the culture and vibe of our first shop going in our new store? Mm, I think that comes down to like mission statement of the company and the value of your company, right? If you have a mission statement and you have strong values, then you just you just train to that, right? So your shop should should have that same feeling. Um, you can also like start your baristas at the old shop, do a lot of cross training, right? Have them train with your existing staff before going over to the new shop. 
Okay, I also think you should expect kind of a new vibe at the cafe, right? Like you should expect it and embrace it. It's going to have a slightly different demographic, a slightly different feeling to it. And that can be okay. And as long as your values are the same and your quality is the same, um, it's okay if the vibe is a little different. I guess that's the difference between culture and vibe, right? Keep your culture set and your culture should reflect the values of your company. And then the vibe can be different because it's going to be, you know, different managers, different baristas, different people coming in. That's fine. Cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Jamie says that uh, where to find talented baristas that don't already work for the other guy down the street. Right. That's how you define talented baristas, right? And we spoke to this a lot. Yeah. I, I would hire from entry entry-level specialty, right? If you're somewhere where there's pizza and Starbucks, hire those baristas. And don't feel bad about poaching those. They, If they're interested in working for you, then they're ready for some education. Um, so make them. Build your own talented baristas. Build an army of baristas. Excellent. All right. Cassie is asking, how do you deal with the slow cold seasons, especially in a tourist community? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one is tough. I mean, I don't know where you are writing from and how slow and cold your uh slow cold seasons are sometimes um sometimes that can be very very hard to weather um i mean we see the same thing at stores that are dependent on like uh college school seasons right or tourist seasons i mean seasonality can be really hard um so i think there's a couple things you can do you can have specials for locals Right. Like maybe you have um, uh, discounts for people who actually like live in the town. Right. You have a locals card, something like that. Um, And I hate discounting coffee and I I rarely like to do it. But if it's a place where you need to make sure you have the year round business, I think that can make sense, Um, whether it's tourists or college or whatever. Um, I think having events. Right. Sometimes sometimes it's appropriate to have events. music or poetry or art events at your cafes and I know that seems really really old school to a lot of us but maybe that's something you don't do in the summer because you're so busy but in the winter you become a community space and you encourage like you know the the knitting uh group to come in on Wednesdays and the you know poetry group to come in on Thursdays and I'm totally serious about this I mean you need to reach out to your to your community and it can sound really corny, but people need to make the cafe their own. Um, and maybe you don't need that in the summer because it's light till 9 PM and people are coming in. Um, but at our cafes, like we change the hours in the winter and we're, we're in California. Like we do not have a winter and we still cut our hours for January, February. I really believe in that. You have to you have to minimize the amount of labor costs that you're going to uh, lose in the winter, right? Our labor percentage is higher in January and February, even with cutting hours and with cutting shifts because our business is slower because of daylight. People aren't coming out as long. And, and like I said, we're in California. If you are really somewhere that has a winter, I mean, you need to find ways to bring people in like events and maybe specials, right? Maybe you need uh, a hot toddy or beer and wine, something for the evening. You need a special hot chocolate for the winter. 
Um, or if it's a college place and you're dead in the summer, right? You need your iced teas, your iced coffees, you need your lemonades, you need your events in the summer. Um, yeah, because it's rough and I think you just need to, um, you need to know your up and ups and downs and budget for it and you need to like make sure you're cutting labor appropriately and controlling your costs appropriately to kind of weather it because in where we are January and February are hard yeah. and, and we have low expectations and I think that's setting your ex realistic expectations is important too. Okay. Yep. Next question I like a lot because, uh, uh, it's something which Green Plantation was fighting all along or something similar. Okay, so it's Nate and he's asking, I'm a roaster. I'm helping open a first cafe next month in a small town in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Most of the folks down drink Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts. What's the best way to convert a culture of uh, convenience <laughs> coffee drinkers to a dedicated following of coffee snobs? Uh, I'm planning to talk about uh, the coffee with customers, host regular cuppings, etc. Any other ideas? Well, Nate, I think those are great ideas and you're on the right track. Um, but I think most important is going to be meeting them where they are and getting them in your door. And I think this is where um, um, it can, it's a long game to convert somebody from Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks to a coffee snob. Mm -hmm. So step one is getting them into your cafe, and that's having a drink that's comfortable with them. I mean, we talked about our shakerados. We talked about house-made vanilla. Um, Have something that they like, right? There's um, Have something that will get them in the door, that when they come in and they ask for a caramel macchiato or they ask for a hazelnut coffee, light and sweet, you have something. I'm not saying make those drinks. I'm saying make a version of those drinks that is your own, that you're proud to serve, that's something you want to drink that you can offer as an alternative and get them on it. Get them drinking, you know, an iced vanilla latte every day, right, with vanilla that you're proud to serve. And then start talking to them about your cold brew. You know, get them drinking a light and sweet, darker roasted coffee, And then say, hey, you know, have you tried our cappuccino? I have this coffee on pour over right now. That's a dry processed coffee. Do you want to try that today instead of your light and sweet dark roast? Um, But you got to get them. You got to get them in that routine first. And if they come in and they look for something and you're like, no, we don't have that. They're not going to come back. And I know we talked about that before, but um, I think you got to hit it both. I think you got to get them in the door with something they want, and then you work on the conversion to coffee snob. So talking about customers, having regular cupping, talking about coffees with customers, having regular cuppings, I think is, I think is great. Um, and sampling, right? Don't, don't underestimate sampling. Give them a little taste, right? Brew a killer iced coffee. I mean, Dunkin' Donuts does so much iced coffee. Brew a killer iced coffee and get people to, you got to get them to try it, get them to taste it. I, I was, in an a choose four years ago and yes i think education is the best way to go and kind of show off what you have and compare i yes. used to sometimes do easter egg cuppings when i took uh, all our coffees like you know different like brazils ethiopian kenyans you name it and i always put there some uh our like not really competitors because these are giant brands which are killing it in slovakia so i was like okay just took one of those coffees and put it there and when they were cupping 
they they were like that coffee stands out that's that's disgusting only once i get you know uh, uh, a remark when they said that oh i like that and those are coffees which are full of robusta so it's like it's it's kind of like a very low grade stuff and then they realize oh wait we actually i actually do like this kind of coffees right mm-hmm. so another tip which i have for him is i saw that he he said he mentioned donkin donuts I remember that when I tried Dunkin' Donuts, or it was on, a, on an airplane, I remember that it wasn't even that dark as Starbucks does. Mm-mm. What it was, it was like more like medium rose, medium light rose. And that's great news for Nate, because if they drink that, they know what light rose tastes like, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it means that what I would do, I would try to kind of play, uh, play it in a way so my coffee is like Dunkin' Donuts, but it's an upgrade. It's more right. special, it's, it's better. And if Dunkin' Donut is the everyday coffee, perhaps Nate's coffee can be the coffee when they use it for like special occasions and the coffee which they give to best friends. And trust me, once they try it, the everyday coffee will be also Nate's. I'm guaranteed. I know, absolutely. And I think that idea of looking at it as an upgrade is really great. I mean, coffee is a treat. Going out for coffee is a treat, right? So, um, yeah, I think speaking to that is great. Like, or, you know such a small increase in price you're getting some of the best coffee in the world exactly mm-hmm. it's still very cheap you know yeah. mm-hmm. okay. i always compare it to the wine world i always say that if you would have the these best wines you know in a coffee the same price we we're going to pay hundreds of dollars for you know coffees you it's know? true yeah. it is true you're still very lucky and we should enjoy it as long as it lasts because the coffee is a good coffee is getting more and more expensive yeah it is okay it should it, it should yeah. It should, because, yeah. All right, so Umer, he's from Pakistan. Look at that. We have a Pakistani listener. How cool is that? So his question is, I'm opening my first cafe in Islamabad, Pakistan, soon. I'm personally very passionate about specialty coffee, and I have done several courses, readings, research. It is extremely hard to find well-trained baristas here, so I will be training most of my team from scratch. At the start... There will be a huge gap between me and my staff. What course of action uh, would you suggest to close this gap quickly and effect- effectively? What should do I do first? What next? Thank you so much and keep up amazing work you're doing. That's for me. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, Valerie. Keep it up. Um, yeah, I think this is very challenging. And I think... Um, Oh, you just have to look at it as an opportunity. Like you get to train them exactly how you want them. You don't have to break bad habits. Um, first is getting them excited. Get them excited. Brew them a cup of really poorly made coffee and then make them a really great coffee and say, this is where we're going to get to. Like make it important. Make them as excited as you are um, through tastings, and guiding them to the same educational sources you've found, right? I love it when my baristas ask me, like, you know, how did you learn all this? And, and some of it is just doing it for a long time. But I have a book list that I give to baristas and I keep it handy. And I'm like, here, start start off with this book. And I'll even loan it to them sometimes, right? Can you email um, me that book list? I'll put it in the show notes. I know you should. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. That, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think some um, are important for culture and some are important for technical training. But I would get your baristas hooked on culture first thing, right? What's the first thing to do? Like to close the gap quickly and effectively is to get them excited and get them 
wanting to learn, right? So get them some barista magazines, get them some books. I know a very good video series they can watch. Hint, hint, Valerian. Yeah, try to get them as fired up as as you are. But I think you are going to have to look at it as an opportunity um, to get to build the baristas you want to build, right? You're you're going to hire for personality, not for um, experience, and you're going to um, guide them along, right? Guide them along and make them excited. Have internal latte art competitions. That's always fun. Have you know. Um, espresso extraction competitions. It's between your own baristas, right? Between like your own internal. baristas. Okay, cool. Yeah, I love that. do it, right? Um, maybe give, you know, give some sort of incentive like, hey, you can, you know, you'll get a barista magazine subscription or I'll give you a copy of Uncommon Grounds if, you know, if you can learn to do X, right? Like, great. If you can dial in by yourself in, you know, X amount of time you get this. Like we give a raise once people are working bar by themselves. Like that's, you know, very tangible. Like, okay, you are bar certified. You can work any shift in the cafe. They, they get a raise. Right. And that's, that's important. Right. That's, that's something tangible. People work towards that. I want to be on bar. So I get barista wage, not cashier wage. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and we'll give, we'll do products for our internal competitions. Oh, you can, you know, get a diner mug for the winning our latte art competition or whatever, right? Like just little, little stuff where managers can incentivize our staff to keep learning. Um, and then some of it you're going to have to do for them, right? Like if you get somebody, I don't know, to like a competent level on bar, like you still might have to be dialing in for them for a while, right? Helping them find that recipe. Um, maybe they get good at steaming milk but it's always a little too hard like hot like you might have to make the macchiatos for a while right they it's challenging it is a tough skill to learn um but just look at it like an opportunity that you get to make people exactly exactly the baristas that you want them to be cool well umer if they were to mention the video series and just you know that's the one which we filmed together Mm -hmm. i was the guy behind the camera and they were i was the the trainer and why not to give you guys the uh, training for free? And uh, maybe, awesome. yeah, yeah. So maybe your baristas can look at it and get the, tri- the, the technical stuff, right? Because that's yes. mostly about uh, the technique of the espresso. That is so sweet, Valerian. We love it. Aww. You um, know, I really had fun to do that. Uh, as was one, one of my too. favorite things I did for <laughs> with coffee courses. And only because of that, I will learn how to do espresso. Oh, it's great. No, those those are good videos to get people kind of really just started. They really just touch on the beginning, um, really, really basics, and then just practice, practice, practice. Um, do you use them, by the way, for in your... I do, yeah. We show them to a lot of our wholesale accounts. Cool. It's great. Um, so that's the other thing, budget for practice, right? Like, make sure your baristas know, like, okay, you know, today you've got some free time in the afternoon. You can use one gallon of milk, right? Steam it up, toss it out, right? Like make sure they know what they can use. Cause you don't want to just say like, Hey, make as many drinks as you want down, down the drain. Right. You can't, can't afford to do that. Um, but Hey, we have this amount of drinks that you can make just to practice. Um, go for it. Take time, practice, practice, practice. And, and I'll let people make their own drinks right away. Right. Like, okay, you've done like basic, you know how to not burn yourself. Like, 
you want a cappuccino today? Why don't you come, come make your cappuccino, right? Long before I'd let them make it for somebody else and talk them through it, right? Make sure they know what they're doing right and wrong and let them make it for themselves. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was the last question. Oh, perfect. I would love to go back to Pakistan. I've been only once. I would love to go back and visit your cafe next time. Maybe you should Can't train wait. them. Maybe you should train them. Oh, yeah. Find me out. I'll do it. So free video, do free Devora in do person. For, I'll do it for a plane ticket. No problem. <laughs> do you want me to keep this in the podcast? <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Devora, for uh, participating in this. And I tortured you for almost three hours. Wow. Thank you so much. I know. I didn't know I could talk so much about coffee. Just kidding. I did. Um, <laughs> thank you for letting me ramble on forever. And I um, hope you cut this down to a reasonable length. And it has been my pleasure talking with you and all of our listeners. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the three-part episode with Deborah Foliger. If you are thinking of opening a cafe, I think these episodes are vital and you should listen to them as much as you can. If you learn something feel free to contact Deborah over her social medias and just say thanks uh, I enjoyed the episodes I know you know I occupy so much time of these uh, coffee guys and sometimes I feel guilty so just help me here and tell them that you appreciate it as much as I do In the next few episodes we are going to talk to Stephen Layden from has been coffee yes Europeans are already cheering I can hear that yay has been and the Americans who don't know who has been is you should check it out because it's one of the coolest and one of the awesomest roasteries in Europe. So check them out and you can listen to Steven next week. Until then, thank you so much for spending time with us and have an awesome time and awesome coffee. Bye.